0: This is a WTOP original podcast
1: from podcast one previously on colors. It's so weird that we're nine one one nation. Patrick Skinner
2: is a police officer in Savannah, Georgia, and he says that's a part of the problem in this country. I mean, we say if you see anything that makes you uncomfortable, call nine one one. It is a terrible
1: way to run a society.
2: And the outspoken former CIA officer says the large volume of 911 calls can lead to police being called for things that they shouldn't be called for. Then who
3: should? And the answer is a lot of people before the 911 call.
2: It's a new community based approach when it comes to policing circulating around the country. Coming up in
1: this episode of Colors
2: Matt Fogel is the district attorney in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania. And after George Floyd's death, he wrote a letter to the community entitled
0: Black Lives Matter, period, full stop.
2: And after speaking out, he was disciplined by his political party.
0: Yeah, the, the local party censured me.
4: You're probably gonna lose your job. I mean, you probably, if you decide to run for re-election in a couple of years, when you're up, you're probably gonna lose because of this. So you, you, took, you wrote this piece with all good intentions, and it may turn back to, to cost you your job. Um, and if that happens,
0: is it worth it? You're damn right.
1: That's coming up in this episode of Colors
2: Simmering Racial Tensions Segregation now and tomorrow and forever Fighting Injustice I Have a Dream Conflict Looming
4: the the
2: Brutality Exposed
1: I Can't Breathe I Can't Breathe
2: The search for solutions starts here. From
1: WTOP in Washington, D.C. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America.
2: Check the mic and make sure it sounds right, boys.
4: Chris Core and I'm white.
2: I'm JJ Green and I'm black. And this is Colors. Welcome, Chris. Good to have you again on the show. Thank you again for all that you've done on the program. As you may know, I'm sure you do, that we uh, were the recipients of the uh, Edward R. Murrow Award for uh, a podcast in 2020. And uh, as I said in a pretty pretty sure you agree we don't do this for the awards we do it because it needs to be done and but it does feel good when you get some recognition though
4: it feels nice that that um, somebody cared enough to give us that honor and we do appreciate it but as you said we're doing it because it has to be done and um so we are leading the charge as best we can and but but thank you to all those who who selected us for the uh for the murrow award
2: yeah. And speaking of leading the charge and doing what has to be done, there's a guy by the name of Matt Fogel. He's the district attorney in Franklin County, Pennsylvania, and he did something pretty remarkable last year. And, you know, a lot of people did a lot of remarkable things in the heat of the moment, but he has stuck to it. One of the things that he did was he wrote a letter and that letter, if I'm correct, was titled Black Lives Matter, period, full stop. Matt, welcome to the show. Please pick it up from there.
0: It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for for having me and um, congratulations on your award. I I wasn't aware of that.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much.
0: I I had penned that letter and uh, had put a lot of thought into it. And, uh, you know, the context of the timing within which I sent that out um, is really inescapable. Um, We're in the middle of a pandemic um i had been growing frustrated um you know with some of the responses to that people in general um seemed to be getting um progressively more dissatisfied sort of angry with restrictions um i saw just a general um rise of of cruelty that was um in the atmosphere and um, so a lot of this was in, in the air and a lot of it was frustrating to me as a citizen, um, just witnessing this, um, whether it's day to day or um, even, you know, watching on the news and, and the like. And so, you know, I'm, I'm in a small county in Pennsylvania, um, one of 67 counties. And, um, you know, I, I wrestled with the idea of saying anything. Um, generally speaking, I don't want people to think I have the hubris um, to think people need to hear from me. Um, and then George Floyd was murdered. And so this is a a law enforcement, um, related incident. And, um, this is squarely within my lane at this point, um, as a DA, um, even far removed from Minnesota, um, this was in my lane. Um, this is, um, a legal matter, um, with, with obviously other ramifications. And, um, you know, it was reasonable. I think for me to speak out as a DA then and address um, not only, you know, that, but you know, the bigger picture and, and, and what I was feeling.
4: You got, well, We should point out so, so say what you said in the letter, because it, it basically black lives matter. And we should point out that you are a white guy in a predominantly white County. You're a Republican elected official in a County. That's overwhelmingly Republican. And yet you wrote what turned out to be this controversial letter. So you don't have to read the whole letter, but just give us the essence of the letter and why you as a white law enforcement officer decided to write this.
0: Yeah, uh, a lot of reasons. I started in the letter um, uh, with the statement, Black Lives Matter, period, full stop. I confess when I first heard that phrase, my immediate reaction was that all lives matter. I was wrong and part of the problem. For white americans please understand that what you're being asked to meaningfully consider is the unique experience of black lives our fellow americans it's not enough to avoid being a racist i humbly submit that it is likewise not enough to be anti-racist it is about actual meaningful change and so i wrote that in at the time here in, in, in chambersburg the, the county seat um, where my office uh, sits uh, not far from the square uh, we had had demonstrations and, and I literally you know, heard those demonstrations, which were very peaceful. There was nothing on fire here. I certainly, you know, saw images across other parts of the country, but um, you know, as the chief law enforcement officer, you know, I did have concerns about, you know um, how those demonstrations would go, uh, whether there'd be um, any back and forth with groups and that sort of thing. Uh, they were entirely peaceful. I, I listened to them. I literally have my window open and, my letter went on to thank them for exercising um, that First Amendment right. And I encourage them to um, to keep up um, this momentum um, because they're are bigger issues. And, and this moment is felt really important and still does.
2: You went on to do a number of different um, things after that. And it's pretty remarkable that after this letter came out, there was support. But then there was some significant pushback against you and it essentially caused forced you to have to make a decision. And that that decision, we don't do politics on this on this program. But, you know, when they when, when they come up, when it's relevant, you know, it's a part of the conversation. So you had to make a political decision after you did that. Right.
0: Yeah, I guess so. Um, the um, yeah, the, the local party um, censured me. And um, I think that was in July or August. I was informed that uh, I had been uh, formally censured. I guess I started a trend, as it turns out. Um, I didn't really think much of that, uh, you know. And I know you don't like to talk about politics. It's really, it's really sort of inescapable, uh, you know. Um, these are all sort of intertwined issues, and you know, really politically, I f- I feel like. Someone from within law enforcement as I am, I, I have, had felt, you know, for a long time that, you know, law enforcement was being used as, as sort of a pawn and, um, you know, one of those binary decisions one could make. And so you're either in this group or not, you either support police or you support um, racial justice. And I found that very offensive. And, you know, I went around and talked to all the police departments here and um, I, I talked to the local party, uh, was then censured and you know that so changing parties for me i had been independent um or not affiliated prior to being da and uh and so i i left i was in military service at the time left that and became da and um had been you know registered as a republican elected as a republican but not uh, not a partisan person at all and and sort of known and, and I think respected for not being very partisan. So I, I don't want to make it sound like it was a very difficult thing for me to do.
4: No, but, but, but here's, here's, I think what JJ driving at to me, it seems like you're, you're probably going to lose your job. I mean, you probably, if you decide to run for reelection in a couple of years, when you're up, you're probably going to lose because of this. So you you took, you wrote this piece with all good intentions and it may turn back to, to
0: cost you your job. Um, and if that happens, is it worth it? You're damn right. Um, I don't think anybody should hold a job like this if you're not prepared um, to, to perform the duties of your job um, honorably and with conscience. And if you're not able to do that, I mean, goodness. Again, I know you're not a political show, but I think we've seen that play out in Technicolor for years now in this country. and. You know, not being able to stand on principle and conscious is is a disqualifier for anyone holding this kind of job. So, you know, I'm not so sure I'm going to lose my job, Chris. We'll see about that.
4: Well, I mean, good for you for standing on your principle regardless. I mean, that's what we seem to have a big lack of in politics. And and J.D.'s right. We we, we're trying to stay nonpartisan, but on both sides. For, you know, for heaven's sake, do the right thing and then let the chips fall where they may. And you did that. And, and you're willing to, to face the consequences. And I, I, you know, I applaud you for that. Good for you. We need more people like you.
0: Well, I, I appreciate that. And I'm, it's not false humility. I, I really feel like it, it's uh, I feel a little bashful when people say that because, it, it you know, it shouldn't deserve thanks, um, you know, or, or credit, you know, to do something that is rather obvious. Um, so, yeah, like I said, I'm not so sure the consequences will be bad. I do have eyes wide open, you know, certainly know the, the political landscape where I live. But, you know, we'll see what happens. Um,
2: so you're continuing to do efforts like that letter. Um, you know, there was uh, another um, something that you, you wrote Um if I remember correctly, it's called Deeds, Not Words. And then, you know, there have been a number of press releases that have come out from your office since then. What's been the response to this continued push um, to move in that direction, which essentially is designed, I think, to sensitize people to the importance of inclusion uh, and equity and uh, belonging? So what's been the, the, the general response to all of all of these things you've done?
0: The response has been um, remarkably positive. I, I'm a human being like everyone else, though. And so, you know, we tend to focus on the negative um, responses that we get. But uh, initially, about a year ago, after that um, first public statement, um, I received uh, a very large outpouring of support. Um, later, after my censure, um, I was made aware that there had been uh, a local petition um, to support you know, me. Um, in the stance um, that I'm taking. And and as I've released subsequent statements, to be quite candid with you, um, I'm not on social media. Um, I don't read comments um, after articles that maybe uh, I, I might happen to read online. So um, I can tell you that directly. I've had, I can count two people that have spoken with me directly who've said something negative about it now what's interesting the times we live in i have heard on uh numerous occasions that you know people are saying or or someone has said this and um you know some people are upset um and i ask who these people are and and uh, no one's really identified so that's that's not unusual these days um so i'm sort of left with you know maybe no one is actually saying that and that's just sort of a, a you know false statement being made um but no it, it's been more supportive um than i might have thought at the beginning as i said i had eyes wide open and I uh, was really compelled and i'm compelled to keep it going um you know the cause is just and it's moral and appropriate um it's um this is our time you know there, there's been a prior history of this country there's going to be a future this is our moment. We're alive right now, and uh, you know, people talk about um, having meaning in their lives. Well, yeah, let's let's be meaningful then. And so, um, no matter how difficult things may seem, and how complex and nuanced um, this conversation will be, and the uh, you know compromises and, and, and discussions and solutions, um, we need to have them. Let's be meaningful. This is our time.
4: We uh, JJ and I had this discussion about black lives matter a long time ago. I don't know one of our earlier shows on this. And when you say black lives matter, you're not saying white lives don't matter. What you're saying is you're pointing out that right now and and certainly over the last year, attention needed to be focused on the fact that African Americans were being murdered Um, and very often, unfortunately, by police officers around the country and certainly being mistreated. But it's not saying that Asian lives don't matter or the white lives don't matter or the blue lives don't matter. It doesn't mean that at all. It simply means right now this particular group needs the spotlight because they're the ones that seem to be catching the brunt of it. And that was kind of how, if I remember right, J.J., that's kind of how we explained it some time ago to to try to get people to understand
0: what it means. Just from my perspective um, you know, black lives matter again, I believe started as an entity around 2015 or you know, somewhere around that time frame. And so recently, you know, when people have said to me here locally, you know, people are saying you know, black lives matter. It's this group. I've looked up their website, they're Marxist. Um, they don't support the nuclear family. And so, you know, you're Marxist, which is just a bizarre thing to say about me from people who know me. And so to be clear, i would go beyond what what chris said just from my own personal perspective in that you know we we tend to talk about race uncomfortably in this country after a flashpoint or during you know uh, and it's always law enforcement related and there's this criminal justice component and from where i sit it's a bit frustrating that when we have a meaningful conversation about race it's it's about, law enforcement, and, and it seems like that's it. And and so we talk about maybe reforms and, and you know, adjustments are made to policing. And I, in my view, as I tried to say in that first public statement, was that I, there are bigger systemic issues in our country, in, in my view, um, that um, we need to continue to capture with this momentum and not just solely focus on law enforcement. Certainly, certainly look at what we're doing in the courts and, and in policing, but um look there's a history of, of slavery in this country and a war and and reconstruction that was halted and and a through line in our history that we've never really dealt with it's original sin and and um so yes law enforcement will look at that and in courts and what i do certainly be introspective and i can do that you know specifically in, in my lane but um from, from where i sit i really would encourage. You know those demonstrators here to, to continue into the rest of you know race in this country and, and that through line and, and let's try to heal this and that's why i say this is our time and it's very nuanced to get at everything but let's do it this is our time um in these positions to be able to effectuate big change okay so-
2: the george floyd uh murder trial the, ver- the verdict for derek chauvin you as a district attorney um have some legal insight that we probably don't have so um, what about that? And, uh, what about your personal thoughts on that?
0: Yeah. So I was working, I did get to watch the trial and, you know, I saw like probably most people I saw uh, highlights on the news in the evenings. And, uh, I happened to be, um, volunteering at a mass vaccination site, um, up in Harrisburg a little bit to the North, um, all that week, um, when I heard the verdict was coming down. So I, I was, uh, driving back home, um, I learned that the verdict was coming, so I listened to it on my radio on the way home. And I think, uh, like most folks, I was a bit uh, tense, uh, nervous maybe, I guess. Um, You know, as a prosecutor, on its face, it's it's very unique in that we watched it happen. The world literally uh, watched that uh, murder happen. And so, you know, in my profession, there's no trial that's a slam dunk, though. I, I never say that. Um, and so you just, you don't know until, you know, and so, you know, legally speaking and, and analyzing that in terms of whether that's a, you know, something that should be charged or could be charged, that, that's very easy for me to, to opine about, but you don't know um, when you have a jury contemplating those types of decisions. So I was relieved. I think like, a, like most people I, I've heard, um, no, I pumped a fist, I think <laughs> as I was driving back home uh, within my Jeep. And, um, I, it's, it's one case. And again, it's, it's one criminal justice matter, uh, with, in my view, within a bigger context, um, of racial healing that needs to happen in our country. Um, but certainly happy is happy to see law enforcement, um, testifying for the prosecution. Um, the scary thing to me be quite candid with you. Um, not revealing anything others haven't, but, I was not aware of the release that the department had done, um, on the date of George Floyd's murder. And I think the release was something to the effect of there was a interaction with police and, and George Floyd died of medical circumstances. And, you know, had that young lady not been filming, um, Absolutely. We wouldn't have known. And that's scary for me as a prosecutor to be really candid with you. Um, that prosecutor would not have known had that young lady. And I'll
2: tell you this, life. there are people in my community, the black community, that think this happens a lot. You know, bogus releases like that before all the facts came out. And there's this concern that even after the facts came out, they never they never changed that. <laughs> they left it. They never addressed it.
0: Yeah, it's very disturbing. It It's very disturbing.
4: Yeah, I mean, we we talked about that right after
0: the verdict, and
4: I I believe I said if it hadn't been for that girl videotaping it, I don't know that he'd be convicted because there has been just uh, what you said, Matt, about having law enforcement uh, testify on behalf of the uh, prosecution against one of theirs is very, very unusual, to say the least. But when you have the videotape of it, it's hard to see how they couldn't.
0: Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I've heard here in the last year is, you know, that doesn't happen here, here in Chambersburg or here in Franklin County. That that happened in, in Minnesota. Yeah. Uh, other things have happened in Ferguson, um, New York, wherever. And, you know, I, I say to folks here that happened in America. You know, you you can't just say, well, we live in Franklin County. So like Minnesota is some foreign land that's, you know, we can't understand it's, it's our country. And so if it happens in our country, um, it is happening here. It's it's in our profession and it's happening here. I I know, um, I saw Patrick Skinner, I believe uh, has been putting it recently. I understand he was on the podcast. Um, this affects what we do as professionals, even just looking at it pragmatically. Um, we cannot avoid, you know, something like this that happens in our country,
2: so specifically, what is it that you would recommend law enforcement and prosecutors all across the country take away from this? Um, not just based on your experience and what you did, the, the big, bold step that you took. What would you recommend? What is what is your suggestion for law enforcement around the country in the wake of all of this?
0: So, number one, uh, don't be defensive. And, and that was uh, that was something I had to do for myself. I think, you know, as a prosecutor, you know, whether it's mass incarceration um, or or anything along those lines, you know, prosecutors have been accused of, of, you know, sort of making decisions based upon um, at least biases. And so whenever that happens, naturally, you know, you have this defensiveness and you have to really fight through that. And um, so for me, um, I, I've seen that and, and I tried to encourage um, all of us, whether prosecutors or, or or police officers, to not be defensive, to, to lean into this conversation. Um, we, we, we have to absolutely have to. And and, you know, um, as far as pragmatically, I think, as I as I keep saying, I think there are bigger issues that we can actually ally together on. Uh, certainly be introspective and make changes that we need to make naturally within our fields um but then I've locally been encouraging us to, to look at other issues where we can actually partner um, establish relationships and and, and and build trust um so those are the things that, that I've said um, going forward and I think again back to that defensiveness speaking for myself you know from where I sit um, geographically demographically you know I, I think someone like me who comes up through, if you consider yourself patriotic, um, and you know, you love this country, you're devoted to it and you know, all of its ideals at some point in your life as a kid, you learn about this, you know, slavery and, and civil war and you know, Jim Crow. And depending on, you know, what exactly your, your curriculum is and is it maybe, um, you know, there's an obvious discomfort. There's a, there's a, you're horrified to hear that as a child and I I can't really pinpoint or remember when I heard that. Um, but it's, there's a dissonance to combine that type of evil that happened with, with within a country that you you love. And so I think what we do, it was very difficult, particularly as a child, you know, and what we do I think is just sort of park that in our brain and compartmentalize it, which we know now as adults is very unhealthy it can sort of manifest in some unhealthy, you know, ways. And um, it's, it's just difficult. So that this sort of becomes, well, if I look at that, you know, I'm just going to park it away. Cause if I look at it, I, I can't really combine that with how I feel about my country because they're just so different. Um, and so I think that's what I, I suspect. That's what happens um, with a lot of folks. So it's almost like a betrayal in, in, in some sort of way in your brain, you know, to look back at that and, see that our country's maybe, you know, complicit, you know, in, in something so horrific.
4: Well, Matt Fogle, the district attorney of Franklin County, Pennsylvania, you have been a terrific guest. Thank you again for the stand you took. Um, I hope you don't pay the political price for it, but if you do, uh, you know, I, 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 in many ways that means more to me than, than uh, if you don't because it'd be like, well, you know what? He took this chance but he said what needed to be said. So, uh, I know what you you blush because you're modest but I I think you're a hero. So, thank you for doing it.
0: Oh my, thank you so much.
1: You're listening to colors. My name is Jesselyn. I am a multiracial woman raised primarily by white people. I live in Oakland, California, and the killing of George Floyd was heartbreaking and also infuriating, not only because it's a gross abuse of power and violence again, but because our community members have been surviving and grieving and witnessing and calling out this injustice for literally hundreds of years. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America.
4: Well, J.J., well, obviously you feel the same way I do. Uh, Matt Fogle was a great guest, and, um, and I, I, you, you used to say use the phrase, the hits keep coming. Well, the hits just keep coming. I want to ask you about something else. Um, there have been some changes made, and particularly in Georgia and Florida, uh about voting um and i guess i uh, will ask the obvious question are these changes that are being done it has to do with drop boxes it has to do with voting hours it has to do with uh where votes are collected and all that sort of stuff um is that being done to suppress minority vote or is it being done to suppress democratic vote because these republican legislatures that have done this uh why, what is the purpose for having it done? Do you, do you uh, you know, without yeah. making it a big conspiracy thing, is there anything you see other than it's trying to suppress minority vote?
2: You know, I've laid awake uh, on a couple of nights for a little bit. Uh, I never lose too much sleep anymore at the, you know, at this stage of my life, but um, over something like this, because I realized the value of sleep. But I have spent some time thinking about this before going to sleep and, and been scratching my head about it when I got up the next morning. I can't see any other reason for it. And the reality to me is... Think about who's impacted by these drop boxes. Think about who's impacted by standing in line for three, four, five, six, seven hours. Who does that? Where does this happen? What places are most affected by these changes? Who needs snacks, water, and things like that, which I believe in some places have been outlawed, that kind of assistance? Who would want that and who would benefit from it? And I just can't come up with any other solution than that is... Uh, To say that needy people, people who are in situations where they absolutely need that.
4: Well, this is where we'll see how much progress we've made, because there is a possibility that all of this will have a backlash, because in the same way that uh, Matt talked about the fact that he may not lose his job even though I think it'd be very difficult for him to get the Republican nomination in in Chambersburg, uh, Pennsylvania, based on it being overwhelmingly Republican and the fact the party censured him. But um, he may not. And there may be just just, you know, we saw that in Georgia. Uh, Stacey Abrams got people riled up and she got people voting. And I don't know for sure that there's not a stronger undercurrent now against people being outraged by, by attempts to suppress votes um, than I would have imagined before. I think some, something has happened. And that gets back to, have we made a fundamental change or not? And I guess we'll just see.
2: Yeah, and I agree with you on that. I think that a fundamental change has happened. And it's my understanding as well, in Pennsylvania, and specifically in that area where Matt Fogle is from, there has been some significant change uh, in people's political alignments and political thinking from some other people and sources that I know that live there. Um, People are changing their affiliations, um, in part because of some things that have taken place, some of it having to do with what Matt Vogel did. Um, I'll tell you, Chris, since the George Floyd situation exploded um, almost a year ago, uh, we're working on close to fifty shows now, so that's fifty weeks of people telling us their stories, listening to people talk in these reflections on race about where they're from, how they were raised, what they were, ex- what they experienced, and you know their views on race. You know, and I, I've seen a, a bit of a trend from the beginning. There was a lot of outrage. You know, a, a little less than a year ago, there was there was a lot of outrage. Now, what I'm starting to see is determination from people who we speak to Uh, and we're hearing some stories now that we weren't hearing before. And I kind of wonder how long these stories will continue to have traction, you know?
4: I think they will. I think they will continue. That's my point is I think that there may be a backlash against some of the stuff that's going on that it seems on the surface to be clearly trying to suppress vote. And I think that instinctually Americans think that that's wrong, that we ought to be encouraging people to vote, not discouraging people to vote. And we'll find out. But um, I, 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 you know, (laughs) it's been a long time coming, as Sam Cook said. But, you know, maybe a change is really here.
2: I'm JJ Green, and I'm black.
4: I'm Chris Kaur, and I'm white.
2: And this is Colors.
1: Coming up in our next episode of Colors. Mon Ericott
3: grew up in Jericho. Everywhere I moved, I had to show my identity card to Israeli military check Even if I wanted to leave the country, I had to get a permit from the Israelis to leave my own country. So it was a very, very unusual, difficult period.
2: Erikat, the former chief representative of the Palestine Liberation Organization, now lives in the U.S. and, like most other U.S. residents, he saw the George Floyd murder.
3: I I just got the goosebumps when you mentioned George Floyd, and uh, you know, when you are oppressed, when your freedom is denied, when uh, when you are not enjoying your basic human rights. Every time you see another people, another ethnic group, another minority, another um, community suffering from the same thing, you have that natural sympathy and affiliation uh, with them.
1: That's coming up in our next episode of Colors.
4: And JJ and I would love to hear from any of you, if you uh, if you like the podcast, if you don't like it, if you have suggestions for guests, or you have something you'd like us to put on the podcast, you can write us a letter or send us an email. And the way to do that is thecolorspodcast at gmail.com. Please, let's hear from you. Time to go.
2: And as we do, we wanna say thank you. To Hillary Howard, Mike Chikaitis, Ari Isaac valvakwa Dimitri Sotis, Julia Ziegler, Joel Oxley, Ann Cor, Gina Bazemore, Sean Anderson, Peggy Byard, Amara Walker, Joey Rivera. Thank you to Matt Small, Ian Crawford, Sue Rushkowski, Charles Height, Brennan Hazelton. And of course, thank you to you for listening. Thank you to Jesse Gallagher, Cosmic, and Offshane for the music. And of course, thank you to you for listening. And just remember... Keep talking to each other.
4: And just as important, keep listening to each other.
1: You can subscribe to Colors on Apple, Spotify, Podcast One, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America.